I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. On this episode of View from the Big Chair, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss, our guest is Jessica O'Neill, president of the Houston Dash soccer team. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Now, Jessica, you sit in the big chair of president of a soccer team. How many years did it take you after college to get to this position? Thanks for the question. I think I'm a bit unique in this space in that uh, on paper, it was a very short amount of time, uh, shorter than, than most. It's been, this is my 10th year working in the industry. Uh, and in actuality, uh, it felt very long, <laughs> uh, obviously going through the, through the various stages of, of what I've been doing, uh, but 10 years uh, to, to get to this point. Uh, how important is soccer to your new home of Houston? It's massive. So we are in Houston is the most diverse city in the country uh, and, and soccer is the most popular sport in the world. Both of those things are are well established. So when you pair those together, Houston being the fourth largest city in the country, uh, just by sheer volume of people that live in, in the greater Houston area means we have a massive opportunity. So it's it's just, it's a sport that we like to say speaks all languages. Uh, it's very universal in the way that uh, it can be played the way that it's understood. Uh, the love of the game is something that uh, is, is felt across the world in various ways. So it's massively important to a city that has the art and, and culture and history that Houston has um, to lean into soccer um, in, in its popularity. And we are lucky that we have both men's and women's professional teams here in Houston. That's excellent. Now, walk our listeners through your career progression. Sure. So I, I went to college at the University of South Carolina, where I, I got a degree in sport and entertainment management, which did set me up for a career in sports. Uh, it was not something that I was planning on doing necessarily when I got to college, um, other than I, I realized in the orientation period that it was a major that I could select and that there were some real real world experience that you you, you had to have before you could graduate, which seemed seemed to be beneficial. Um, so I went through that program. I did a couple of internships, one in minor league baseball, um, one in, in college football. Um, and then I graduated from the university and I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I took an internship uh, for the Carolina Panthers in their ticket sales department. 
And um, I proceeded to stay there significantly longer, uh, selling tickets and suites and hospitality packages, a, a full menu um, sales department is how we described it, um, for about four years um, on a sales team of, of 10 uh, or so. It fluctuated, but about 10 full-time salespeople selling, selling the stadium there in Charlotte. Um, I moved to more of a leadership role um, on the sales side. Uh, a sales manager position leading, uh, again, all of our ticketing and premium sales. Uh, and then the last position I had in the ticketing team was director of ticket sales, uh, driving sales and, and service strategy for our team uh, for new and incremental revenue in all of those spaces. Uh, the, the sort of turning point of my career path um, was that the owner of the team, uh, Dave Tepper, was awarded an MLS franchise, Major League Soccer franchise. Um, while I was serving in this capacity as director of ticket sales for the Panthers, there was an internal working group that was setting setting up uh, what would be the basis of Charlotte FC, uh, but at the time was just Charlotte Charlotte's MLS team that was coming to town. And we worked on that for a couple of years, setting up ticket deposits, pricing, um, maps, you know, customer plans, marketing plans, et cetera. And in doing that, um, I set myself up for what I what I didn't realize was coming, which was a jump uh, to Charlotte FC focused team. Um, Nick Kelly was hired as the president of Charlotte FC at the beginning of 2021. And when he joined the club, was looking for some some dedicated resources, specifically a, someone to, to function in the marketing and communication space. So I, I jumped out of the ticketing world and into uh, into more of a support role in amplifying and, and ideating and promoting a lot of the things that our our club was doing. Um, and that's what we did. We built for a year um, before our launch. Our, our inaugural home match was March 5th. So I was in that role just over a year of building. Uh, felt like about 10 years <laughs> to my earlier point, but it was a year that I will never trade for anything. Um, one of the most stressful and yet rewarding times professionally and personally that I've experienced. Uh, and I quite literally left after that, uh, after that first that first match in Charlotte to join the the Houston Dash, uh, the NWSL team that's owned by Ted Siegel, is a new owner of the club, owns also owns the Houston Dynamo, the MLS team, and PNC Stadium, the downtown Houston soccer-specific stadium that both clubs play in. Now, what skill sets do young professionals need to develop in order to be successful in sales? Sales, I think, is an area that that's massively beneficial for folks to start their career in. Um, to, to, to be successful in it, the skills that you need really are quite simple. It is, it is the ability and the confidence to talk to people um, and relate to people and meet them where they are uh, and be persistent in the, in the approach but also thoughtful in that you know, what you're selling is not always for everyone and, and that's okay. And you can move on um, from that. It doesn't reflect on you personally or anything about you. It's just, sometimes it's not what people are looking for. So uh, I think it's a resilience uh, a, a ability to, to uh, be confident that, you know, just because someone says no, doesn't reflect on you. Um, and to understand that everyone is a potential customer until they are not. So, uh -huh. you know, the experience of sports, what we're selling really can be applied um, to everybody until it until they tell you that it's not. So a few a few different things uh, that I think make a make or break successful salespeople is just having that vantage point in that lens. And what are the main differences in selling for a venue like the Colonial Life Arena and selling for a team like the Carolina Panthers? 
a lot of a lot of differences in the sense of uh, of the city. Um, they, you know, I was selling collegiate sports and entertainment options at Colonial Life Arena there in Columbia, uh, and obviously Carolina Panthers are an NFL team. Um, so there's there's some differences in the product, in the audience, in the pricing. Um, but at the end of the day, I would say it's very similar in the sense that it's giving people reasons to want to spend their free time and their disposable income uh, at our facilities and making sure that it's worth the time and money that they spend uh, to join us. So I, in that sense, I would say they're more similar than they are dissimilar. Um, it, the differences are really just the, the actual product themselves uh, in, the, in the markets that they're in. And what type of personality tends to do well in sales? I would say a humbly aggressive one, <laughs> which is a very, a very fine line. Um, I think the other way to say it would be quietly confident. Um, I, I do think that the confidence resonates with people, the conviction, and but there's got to be a dose of humility there, uh, of empathy, of you know, listening and understanding, and that is not easy to balance those two things. Uh, but if you're too empathetic and not aggressive enough, then it, it you won't see the results. And if you're too aggressive um, and you're not good at listening or you're not good at, at, you know, stepping back and seeing where people are, then you won't see the results either. So a balance, a balance between the two. Balance. Balance is the key word. <laughs> now, when you were the director of marketing and communications for the soccer team, what were your day-to-day duties and responsibilities? I think the coolest part about that role was that it was different every day, whereas the ticketing role, you know, every day our job was to drive revenue um, and, and sell tickets or suites or packages, et cetera. Um, the marketing and communications function was to support all of those initiatives, uh, our social engagement, our partnership activation, um, our new business, um, the, our, our PR initiatives and strategies. So the day-to-day was really uh, looking a lot, especially in, at Charlotte FC, because we were building a club from scratch, understanding what our priorities were. Um, and it was to be visible in the market. It was to drive season ticket sales and individual ticket sales at that time really for our inaugural match was something that we were all focused on because we were looking to break the record for the largest MLS match ever. So we all knew that that was the job. Uh, That was something we committed to in the marketplace that we wanted to do. So that helped prioritize, you know, different moments that we had as a club, you know, drafts and kit launches and, and reveals, et cetera. Um, to, to focus on that. So it was always, you know, how can we amplify this uh, in the media and in the marketplace? How can we make an impact in the community? How can we drive revenue? And all of those things laddered up to, to every day, uh, trying to make them the most impactful day that we could. And what are the different skill sets, if they are, that young professionals need to be good in managing communications as opposed to selling? Yeah, I think that it is probably back to empathy from a from a skill set and a self awareness of you know reading the room and you know meeting people where they are in the sense that you know uh, when you understand what's important to somebody, communication it, it becomes a lot easier uh, if you can can figure out what the priorities are. 
uh, in sales is the same way in the sense that, you know, the sale becomes easier if you know what's important to somebody, what their priorities are, what they value. I think in those ways, in those ways, they're similar. I think, um, selling versus, you know, the, the role and the job function of communication, the skill set is, is slightly different, uh, in the sense that there's a, the, the persistence and the, uh, productivity and the efficiency still matter, but, uh, you, you could be a little bit less results driven in the sense that, you know, you're, you can make progress in the communications field, you know, in very different ways in the sales field. Sometimes it's hard to make, see that you're making progress. If you're not making a sale, it, you are making a sit, you know, making progress, even though you're not making a sale, uh, but it's a little bit harder to see. So I think the skill set in the, in the sales world requires more patience uh, because the, 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 results can feel like they're so cut and dry. Um, whereas they, it's, it's a little bit easier to take a step back in PR and, and realize that, you know, any sort of relationship building is progress. Now, as the president of the Houston Dash, what are your short-term goals for the team? Right now, the biggest goal is short-term and long-term is to drive more fans to our stadium. We have a beautiful downtown stadium. We have world-class athletes that are playing here. Um, they're representing their country. Uh, 20% of our roster, 60% of our starting 11 are representing their country at the highest level. So driving people to the stadium, giving them a reason to come experience this live is the highest priority. And then once they experience for the first time, making sure they'd like to come back they feel valued as a, as a as a customer there's something about the dash that resonates with them whether that's the product on the field or the experience of coming or our social content um etc so that is something that until we're we're able to uh drive more and more people to the stadium uh, it will continue to be top of mind now what is your management style and how did you develop it I would classify myself in general as very approachable. Um, I don't, I'm, there's not a lot of formalities. Um, I, I believe in meeting people where they are uh, and understanding that, you know, there's a different lens that everybody sort of comes to work with. There's sometimes different weights on their back that you don't know or you don't see um, and, and recognizing that they're there. Um, I would say, you know, to the question of how did I learn it, I credit a lot to my parents and the example that they set. Um, you know, they weren't teaching me how to be a leader in in the sense of the business world, but they were teaching me some some key values about uh, being curious and being kind, and you know, understanding that whatever you say you want to do, you can do. Um, you, you can you you can believe it and and see it through. Um, you have that ability in, innately. I think that's where the confidence comes from. So I, I would credit that. Uh, I think my starting my career in sales was very helpful because I can under I understand the value of driving the business forward um, from a revenue bottom line standpoint, uh, and I try to do it with a with an empathetic lens. Great. Now, what is it that you wish you learned in school that you didn't that would have made your career progression easier? It's a great question because I think now the collegiate programs do a better job of teaching some of the things that, that we're talking about, especially in the sales world. Uh, I think 
you know, teaching people the art of sales and the need and the value and, and almost demystifying it, uh, making making it seem less scary since that's where most jobs with teams are, um, most entry level positions. You know, it, here we have we have two social media people, but we have 25 salespeople. So by definition, wow. there's going to be more opportunity in ticket sales than there is in social media or same thing with PR uh, or, you know, the creative team, lots of examples I could go on and on. So I wish someone told me to, to consider sales. Luckily I, I, I got to that point. Uh, but I think sometimes people are intimidated by it where they have it. And I one idea in their head of what it is. Uh, I also, think it's it's so important the people that you surround yourself with at work and the culture that you're stepping into and that's something that even if it's taught it's hard to really know until you get out there in the marketplace and you start interviewing and if you learn that you know people are leaving an organization left and right there's probably a reason for that (laughs) and that you know if you if you start down that path and you move there and you dedicate so many hours of your week to an organization that is is, is not set up for success. Uh, and that might turn you off of working in sports ever again. Um, I think that's, that's something that truth that could be told a little bit more in, in the classroom of, you know, understanding what your values are as a, as a person should be somewhat aligned with the values of an organization. And then if they're not, it's going to be really hard to work there and work there well. Um, and that it's okay. Um, it's okay to move on from a from a company if it's not right for you, or a leader if they're not right for you, if they're not adding value to your life um, and, and providing opportunities for you to grow that you can and should move on. I think that's something that um, is not hit on potentially, or at least wasn't when I was in school. Uh, it was more focused on how to get a job and how to how uh-huh. to you know. But it, but sometimes the job isn't right. Um, exactly. And that's hard. That's hard to know at 21 or 22. Um, right. That not all jobs are good jobs. And what can young professionals do to stand out against their peers? Because the competition for all of these jobs is so competitive. What can they do to stand out and be noticed by management? I really do think it's that confidence. I, I've told people before that if 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 people know how old you are or they know, oh, you know, they're only one or two years out of school, then it's an indicator that there's something about the way that they're carrying themselves or the way that they're, that they're speaking or the, the confidence that they're bringing that's indicating their age. So the, the, the flip side of that is sort of never let them know, you know, or feel or understand, you know, the age or, or how, you know, how much experience you have because, uh, if there's an opportunity for you to, to add value to an organization, which there is, or they wouldn't have hired you, they believe in you, or they would not have brought you on board, they would not be investing in you um, as, a, as a person and as a professional if they didn't see that you could add value. So uh, understanding that, you know, whether you've been in a company or you've been in the industry for a day or for 10 years, that you can contribute and that confidence to know that sets people apart. It really, it really does. And what has this career journey cost you personally? Whew. <laughs> I, I think I've, I've created and surrounded myself with a circle of people, my friends and family that understand 
the sacrifices required in this industry and that it's nights and weekends and it's a, it's, it's a, a passion that you can't necessarily turn off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've intentionally surrounded myself with people that value that. So I don't think it's cost me anything uh, because if, you know, if there was a certain um, moment or time that, you know, I had to choose one or the other as far as work versus something that mattered personally, I think I've done a good job of picking the moments where I need to say, hey, this, this particular family moment or, or, or event or, you know, personal matter is a priority over work that's in front of me at that time. Um, and having, again, the confidence to know that I can make those decisions. So I, I can't sit here and say that there's anything in particular that uh, I've had to sacrifice because I've been intentional about the the, the, the circle and the group of people that um, are are in my life personally. Um, what potential sacrifices do you see that aspiring coaches or administrators may need to be on the lookout for if they want to have longevity in the industry? I think the hardest part about the industry is that that in sports, by definition, you're working when everyone else is off. So that's nights and weekends. And that, you know, that will mean that there's sacrifices with things that, that, you know, you can't do. And it's why you have to be working at a place that you really, you, you want to be. Otherwise the burnout will be very real. And that also, luckily, I think the industry has taken uh, positive steps in providing flexibility for people um, to to make decisions that, you know, you don't always have to be at every single game for the entire time. You know, we can figure out how to work efficiently and, you know, delegate and, you know, evaluate whether or not, you know, your physical presence is needed or can you be on call or can you be available? Uh, because otherwise your mental health starts to suffer, I think, when you, when you put um, the organization above all else, including your own mental health. And that's not, that's not good for anybody. But I think um, just the, the, the time, the sheer time and when, when our presence is needed being nights and weekends for the most part does make an impact on the freedom that people have. What advice would you give to young Jessica about the professional journey that she was about to take? I think I'm, I think I've done a fairly good job of never trying to get too ahead of myself. I don't believe in predicting the future. Uh, we're only, we're only guaranteed today. So, you know, we can show up every day and try to make it the best day that it possibly can, but dwelling on yesterday or panicking about tomorrow in a way that's not productive is only going to, uh, take away from focusing on what's in front of you. So um, I would say that to my younger self. And I think there were times where I was too worried about things out of my control in the future uh, or things that, you know, dwelling on the, on the differences. Um, But moving, you know, though, I would say really the last uh, six to to eight years um, professionally have, that's been something that I've, I've prioritized and I've understood, but the high school and college version of me, probably not so much. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked with some young professionals who start to get discouraged when they see their peers being promoted and advancing and they feel that they're stagnant. What's the best advice that you have for them? 
to run your own race. I, I think um, that comparing yourself to others will, in, in any fashion, whether it's professionally or, or personally, will only ever yield um, disappointment because they're running their race and we've got to run our own. And if you know you're doing everything that you can to be better and that you're in a place that values that. And that's the second part because sometimes you can be doing everything you can, but you're not in the right place. So you will be stagnant until you make a, a change and a conscious decision to, to, to do something different if you value, you know, moving on. But uh, I, I, I truly believe that somebody else's success, it should be celebrated, uh, but it, it should, it should never. And I realize it's harder uh, sometimes to do than it is to say, but, um, it, it never diminishes your own success. It's really not even reflective at all of, of where you want to go. Um, and that if you are genuinely uh, excited for other people, that, that that's a, a positive. That's great. That's, that's perfect advice. Now it's overtime. What book do you think aspiring sports administrators should read and why? There's a book by Simon Sinek called um, Starting With Why, actually, and understanding um, that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And um, I'm rereading it right now. And I would say uh, I, I wish I was rereading it uh, or had been rereading it earlier because it's, it's super valuable. What app can you not live without and why? Okay, so I'll skip all of the obvious ones like my email and my maps because I don't know where I'm going right now because I'm new to Houston. And I will pick one that is unique and say there's an app called White Noise um, that is quite literally white noise. And then I use it every single night uh, <laughs> because apparently silence is just too much for me. Um, and I need some background noise uh, to be able to go to sleep and that I value my sleep tremendously. So that is an app that uh, I use every single day. It seems. Uh, more exciting than saying my email or, or something, something very obvious, but it's a white noise app that I highly recommend, especially if you're traveling or you're on an airplane and you're trying to sleep, just something to kind of, kind of block out everything. What social media site should aspiring sports administrators follow? I really do believe in the power of LinkedIn. I think it's, it's, uh, gives people an opportunity to write their own story and amplify things that, uh, their company is doing or that they're doing um, on behalf of, of an organization um, and tell that story and connect with people in the industry, uh, I think it's a super helpful resource. What motivational movie do you suggest young professionals watch? So when I started in ticket sales, my father recommended that I watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And it is an absolutely terrifying movie to watch the week before you start a sales job because it is uh, an intense uh, Alec Baldwin I believe is in it but it is an intense sort of uh, old school call center you know activation that is so well portrayed uh, but an extreme you know wolf on wall street kind of kind of atmosphere um, you can't have coffee unless you're closing deals you know the leads are the leads aren't weak, you're weak. It's so extreme, but it's actually uh, really helpful because those type of sales environments exist. So seeing it um, on, you know, in a 
dramatized way on TV and then getting to your sales job and realizing, oh, this is better is, is actually really helpful. I don't know if it's motivational, uh, but it's at least it's, it's helpful to see portrayed that way and know that it could be that bad. Uh, <laughs> and some of those principles, they, they are, there's truth to them, you know, that um, the leads are, aren't weak, you're weak is an extreme way to say, you know, consider the approach with said lead. <laughs> and maybe, maybe there's a different way around it. So there's a lot of extremities in that, and extremities in that movie, but um, it's, it's one of my favorites. And what is your go-to inspirational quote? So the way, the last place I've heard this, I don't know that she originated it, but she is one of my absolute favorite leaders. And she's uh, just recently celebrated an incredible milestone, but it's Dawn Staley, the head coach of the South Carolina women's basketball team, national champions, two-time national champions. Um, and again, I don't know that this quote started with her, but I, I saw it from her. So I'll credit her for it. Uh, plus it's my chance to shout out the Gamecocks, but it's that you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. And so simple, but really helpful to think about on a regular basis that if you're always ready to go there's no oh my gosh I have to hurry up and get ready you're just always ready how excited were you last Monday <laughs> amazing she it's it's when good things happen to good people that have worked hard and done it the right way it's the best it's the best story uh, and that program is a and the success of the program is a testament to who she is as a leader and I think uh, I've actually heard some of her leadership principles referred to in the business world a few times in the last few weeks. And I think that's where you know how impactful uh, somebody is when you can take what they're doing as a basketball coach and talk about leading a business with it. Um, yes, I was very excited last Monday. Go Gamecocks. <laughs> I worked there for three years. and uh, Oh, you did? Yeah. Amazing. Women's basketball was not as successful then, <laughs> but they were laying the foundation and, and getting ready getting ready. Well, thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us. You have had some great things for our young people to think about and uh, just some great inspiration and seeing a woman, a young woman as president of a soccer team is inspiration in itself. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing. I really, I appreciate the invite. I appreciate the, the initiative that you're taking to make sure that to your point about sharing practical knowledge of people that are that are working in the industry, I really am an open book, so I'm happy happy to connect with anybody. LinkedIn is the best way to connect with me, uh, but happy to answer any questions or be a resource to anybody that's looking for for some guidance. But thank you for for the platform that you've given me today, and best of luck to you this season. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.